Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Where the Dark Corners Are. hostess. Tonight, as we linger in Australia, we have Road Trip with the Panda. Yeah. There it is. <laughs> it's our first road trip in a long time with the panda. Yes. The panda's been very busy. The panda's <laughs> been traveling. Traveling, working, all the above. Yes. But tonight, we decided to get our feet wet with a true crime episode. We're going to call this episode The Honeymoon Killer. So, you know how you you go through your Facebook, you're always you know checking your Facebook, and sometimes like an article or a series like will come up on your feed and... Like a headline, headliner thing. Like a clickbait almost. Right. So you click on it and usually... It, Takes you to a whole different website, and you try to back out pretty quickly. Right. You don't want to go nowhere else. But it does intrigue you because you just want to learn all the information just straight off the headline. Yeah. Right, right. Right. So I had one come up on my feed dubbed uh, True Life Moments Before Tragedy Struck. So they basically they were promoting pictures right before something tragic happened. And this is exactly how I learned about this horrible crime that we're going to talk about tonight. The picture I saw, because it was a series of pictures, the picture I saw was a picture of a scuba diver, but in the background, you actually see another scuba diver, rather hapless scuba diver, basically lying flat on her back, and she's either dying or dead, which is probably, she's probably dead. Because, you know, later we'll hear how people float. Dead people don't flow too. Y'all sink. Float too. They yeah. sink. This episode is actually dedicated to the hapless scuba diver in the background, Tina Watson. So let's talk Tina. Tina May, also known as Tina Watson. Uh, her birth name, I couldn't actually find her birth name because she was actually born in West Germany on February 13, 1977. As an infant, she gets relocated to the United States and just three weeks shy of her third birthday on January 24th, 1980, she gets adopted by a couple named Tommy and Cindy Thomas. They initially live in Walker County, Alabama, and then the whole family, including her younger sister, eventually moved to Birmingham, Birmingham, Alabama. Yes. Birmingham, Alabama. Okay. So at a young age, Tina gets diagnosed with P- PBSD. Yes. P P S V T P S V T the thing that gives the thing I get when I run yes and uh, for those who don't know P S V T is basically an abnormally fast heart rhythm which causes palpitations lightheartedness sweating and sharpness of breath so she has this issue but you know life goes on she grows up she heads to college and she begins attending the University of Alabama at Birmingham. This is where she meets David Gabriel 
Gabe Watson. But she's actually engaged to someone else when they meet. However, due to her mother's disapproval of the young man, Tina actually calls off the engagement, and she and Gabe begin dating in January 2001. Now, also about her college years, because the heart medications weren't helping Tina very much, at the age of 24, she actually has a minor surgery to basically kind of correct the PSVT. After graduation, Gabe starts working at his father's bubble wrap company, I think as a salesman, and Tina herself starts working as a manager at a small southern department store chain called The Parisian. Now, obviously, as a new couple and, you know, this potentially going somewhere, they, you know, talk about each other's hobbies, and Gabe absolutely loves scuba diving. I mean, he's, like, very serious about it. He actually goes on to acquire his open scuba diver certification, an advanced diver certification. He even gets search and rescue diver certification, and he becomes, like, a specialty diver. And by the time that they actually get married, because they obviously get married, Gabe has completed at least 55 dives by the time of their wedding. It's like his golf. Scuba is literally his game. But in contrast to this is Tina. Tina actually was not a big fan. In fact, Tina was reportedly nervous about scuba diving and really felt pressured by Gabe to take up the activity. So here you have kind of a situation where she didn't really want to do it, didn't really feel comfortable doing it, but he was applying the pressure. And to add to this situation, of course, were Tina's parents who were worried about her heart problem, you know, and they were worried to the point where Tommy, Tina's father, goes to Gabe and is like, hey, you know, you're pressuring her to do this. We're not really comfortable, especially because of her heart. And Gabe's response is basically brushing him off, saying, well, you know what? I do things that she likes, so she needs to just do it. So despite all these concerns, in January 2003, two years after they start dating, Tina actually begins taking scuba diving lessons. In February of 2003, Gabriel asks, and I'm using kind of like air quotes, Tina's dad for the blessing to ask her to marry him. And, you know, by now, you know, they already kind of got an impression of Gabe. And it's not. Right, it's not the best, it's not the best relationship. He- correct. And so, and and Tommy's main concern was is that Gabe wouldn't actually treat his daughter the way, he, as dad, he felt his daughter should be treated. And so, for like prime example, he kind of asks for permission to marry his daughter, but he didn't really ask. He was like, I am going to marry your daughter. Kind of, yeah. You know, if you're okay with it, cool. If not, it's going to happen. Correct. Cool. And like I said, prime example. When they started talking about marriage, Tina and Gabe started talking about marriage, Gabe kind of started taunting Tina with the wedding ring, like, I've got it, it's in the bag, but you can't look at it kind of scenario. And, you know, she would complain that he was treating her like this, acting like this, you know, taunting her with the engagement ring. And the dad was like, you don't need an engagement ring. You don't need anything. You know, you don't need this kind of scenario. But eventually on April 23rd, 2003, there was an Easter egg hunt, and he hid the, the engagement ring in an egg, and that's how she eventually gets her ring. 
But here again, it was just kind of like on his terms, how he kind of wanted to play this game with her scenario. But now they're officially engaged. And as a happy couple getting married, they go on to start doing typical engagement stuff. And they have the bridal shower. You know, she's got her everything a bride could possibly hope for. However, while all this is going on, Gabe is actually pressuring her to do a couple things. And so on September 26, 2003, Tina goes to see her dad and asks him to help her or basically just do it for her. And what she wants is she wants to increase her life insurance policy and she wants to make Gabe her sole beneficiary. And she's like, Dad, I, I don't have time. You know, they're literally like two weeks before the wedding. She doesn't have time. She doesn't want to fill it out. And so she asks the dad to handle everything. And the dad says, well, you know what? You tell him we took care of it. But in the meantime, we'll, we'll handle it when together. you get back from the honeymoon. That's what he tells her. So their honeymoon. They decided that they were going to go to Australia uh, for basically a two-week honeymoon. And that while there, they would do one week of sightseeing of Sydney and then one week of scuba diving in or on the Great Barrier Reef. So they, you know, that's their game plan. Now, and and during their two weeks, you know, during their week of scuba diving, they intended to perform 25 scuba dives visiting the reefs, uh, the sites. So on October 11th, 2003, Gabe and Tina get married. And like I said, by this time, he's got 55 dives under his belt, but Tina has only ever completed 11 and all in a local quarry. So basically no ocean experience. And on top of this, she's never gone further than nine meters in the water. So no ocean. And I mean, I don't know how far nine meters are, but. Right, you're going from a kiddie pool to the deep end of the public pool or some shit. Correct, (laughs) correct, where anything is possible. So, as planned, they get married, they head off to Australia, they do their week of sightseeing in in Sydney, and then they actually head to Queensland. And on October 21st, 10 p.m. at night, they board the ship that's going to take them around for all this scuba diving called the Spoil Sport. Now, obviously, there are are a lot of rules and regulations regarding scuba diving, and this company inquired about their scuba diving skills and history because they they need to know, you know, where these people are in terms of is this dive even appropriate, the dives that we're planning are appropriate for them, or do they need extra assistance, do they need an instructor to tag along? I mean, it's like parachuting. Right. I mean. Where are the precautions taken here? Correct. So hearing how Tina was basically a beginner, they offered her an orientation dive with instructors while on the trip. Not only do they offer it once, but they offer it to her twice. And they're, I mean, and it's an open forum. People hear the company saying, would you like an orientation dive a couple of times? And everyone hears both Gabe and Tina declining because Tina's relying on Gabe to be her. I got my... He's good. He knows what he's doing. Correct. He's Correct. Okay. I mean, and he's got all these certifications. So to, to some degree, you know, you're relying on someone who you literally just married, who has the skill 
and the experience and the education. Right. Despite it being against the scuba diving company, okay, own, own rules and regulations, they accept Tina and Gabe's decline for the orientation dive, and they allow her to dive without the instructor, okay? Either way, in the morning of October 22nd, 2003, you know, they suit up, they prepare to dive, and explore the shipwreck of the SS Yangala, which was a passenger ship that sank in 1911. Now, as they're waiting for their group's turn to dive, so they're like they're in a little boat, and they're all kind of waiting to, you know, get into the water. Gabe turns to Tina and basically starting to indicate that he's having a problem with his dive computer, which is kind of like a watch that they wear. And it records what the diver does, how okay. far the diver goes, right. how fast the diver goes to get there. So it's their, it's their, it's basically their recorder box. Okay. But despite this, they dive into the water with their group because you have to go as a group. And as they start to descend, Gabe kind of signals to Tina, because they're in the water now, that he has to resurface to fix his dive computer. So they let the group descend down to the shipwreck while they start going back up to the boat. They get to the boat, and Gabe, you know, announces to everybody, oh, I'm having a problem with my dive computer. It keeps beeping, and I think it's doing it because I put the battery in backwards. Okay. okay, I can see our listeners can't see your face, but uh, I'm sure <laughs> I <heard> better excuses. <laughs> okay, okay. So he basically asks for like, "Hey, can I borrow a coin?" And he opens up the diver thing. He flips the battery to the right side. Okay, and then he closes, you know, closes everything up, and they're like, "Okay, we're ready to go." And so the two of them descend basically by themselves now. Okay. Okay. So, six to seven minutes later, the company's professional diver, a gentleman by the name of Wade Singleton, dives in after. You know, he's going down to check on the group, make sure everything's okay. You know, this is his job. Now, I'm going to start with Gabe's version of events, because this is where everything goes south for Tina. Okay. Gabe claims that the current was too strong for Tina, and Tina flips out, and basically accidentally knocks his mask and air regulator loose off of him. Then Gabe claims that after he recovered from fixing his mask and his air regulator, he sees that Tina is actually sinking. And on top of that, she's sinking too quickly for him to retrieve her, and that he panics... And instead of reaching out or trying to grab her, you know, mm-hmm. to keep her from sinking, and I'm using air quotes, right? he decides to return to the surface to get help. And later on, he even comes up with this, oh, I had an ear problem that prevented him from diving deeper to help her. So all of this, whatever happens, happens at 15 meters in in the water, and he starts to go back up to get help. Okay. It takes him 22 minutes to reach the surface to get help. 22 minutes. As he's doing this, Tina sinks all the way down to 30 meters. So she's doubled the length of where they were. Right. 
And her arms are literally reached out, and she's basically dead. Like we said, the dead don't float. They sink. Okay? And it's at this point that this famous picture of her is taken. She's on the ground. Her arms are reached up. And it's this gentleman by the name of Greg Stempler who is diving with the group. He's actually photographing his wife when you see, perchance, Tina in the background, again, lying face up, basically dead. And you see Wade Singleton swimming over to Tina because he knows something's not right. Okay? Right. Now, this picture actually does not come into light until this couple, Greg and his wife, return home and they download pictures, you know. And they see that. They have a picture of Tina Watson in the background. Now, Wade grabs Tina. I mean, he's like, this, holy shit, basically. Right. And, again, they're at 30 meters. So, with absolute no assistance from Tina and carrying Tina, he's pulling himself and her up to the surface, and it takes him 11 minutes from twice the depth that Gabe... The 15 meters. Correct. 22 minutes. Correct. Right, it took him 11. From 30 meters and carrying a body. Now, Wade resurfaces. He gets to the boat called the Jazz 2, which is another dive boat in the vicinity of the Spoiled Sport. So there's a bunch of boats there at the same time. Okay. Singleton and other crew members, um, a gentleman by the name of Uzi Barane, I'm probably mispronouncing his last name, they begin performing CPR, and together they spend 40 minutes trying to resuscitate her. Gabe remains on the Spoiled Sport. He doesn't even try to get to her. Was well, he notified? He knows. Well, I mean, he knows. He know, and he can see them working on her. Oh, okay. Okay. In fact, the only time he even goes near Tina is when he knows she's dead for sure. Okay. So, according to Uzi, who testifies later on in Alabama in 2012. Gabe Watson, basically. Sorry, 2012? Correct, so, yes. So 2003 is when this whole incident happens. <laughs> Trust and now it's 2012. Correct. And now they're at court. In Alabama. In Alabama. Okay. It's nine years in the making. Cur- well, this is. Okay. <sighs> okay. He testifies that Gabe starts making like these weird clucking noises when he finally sees his wife's dead body. And he goes on to testify that it doesn't even look like Gabe's crying at the court hearing. This is what he says. And the other divers have no, you know, there's other divers on both ships. So people are like there and they, other people report that Gabe is acting strangely. All the while they're trying to recess his wife. He basically goes around and starts asking people to give him hugs. Okay. He's not really like, oh, my God, she's dying or, God, someone help her. Let me, you know, i got to get to her. He's like, can you give me a hug? Can you give me a hug? Give you a hug? Yeah. That's really a testament, they say? Yes. Um, other divers will testify that Gabe showed no distress. In fact, one of the divers who was a, a just highly skilled diver by the name of Ken Snyder he testifies that Gabe shows no distress while they were working on her. He was cold. There was nothing there. Uh, basically, he had lifeless eyes, and he didn't behave normal. So, I mean, Gabe's behavior is upsetting other people, okay? And 
once they kind of basically get everything kind of squared away, Tina's dead, it's over, Gabe calls his parents, and his mother literally hops on a plane to Australia and gets there ASAP. In fact, she's there with him when he goes to talk to the Australian Queensland police. She's in the video, you see her. But Gabe asks his dad, hey, can you call Tommy and Cindy and tell them that their little girl is dead? So he, you know, he calls him and he basically just says, hey, Tommy, there's no way to say it, but Tina died. Sorry. But Tommy does actually later get a chance to talk to Gabe. And Gabe was like, you know, um, I was right there with her while they worked on Tina. Uh, you know, they did everything they could kind of a scenario. And Tommy, not knowing any better, not knowing anything else, thinks this is just a terrible, tragic thing. Right. And, you know, he actually finds a little, it sounded like he found a little comfort in knowing that Tina wasn't dying by herself, that her husband was beside her. Right. So naturally there's an inquiry, there's an, an investigation, and per my research, the two detectives who were assigned to the case, a senior sergeant, Gary Campbell, and a senior constable, Kevin uh, Goringer. Kevin. Kevin. Okay. They actually, in the initial stages, believed that this was basically just a horrible, tragic scuba diving incident. They didn't really think that Gabe did anything wrong, and they just, you know, they thought the information that Gabe provided was accurate and true, and... They thought this until they started looking at the evidence and the evidence started contradicting what Gabe told them. Okay? Sure. Like I said, they pull Gabe in and they get a statement and mommy's with Gabe, you know. And he actually makes two initial statements, you know, kind of right off the bat. The second one being where he basically insists that it's the strong currents that caused this tragedy to happen. Now, between the two statements that he makes, so he, you know, he's in there for a couple of hours, he ends up telling the police that the company, the, the company that hosted the scuba dive, never offered an orientation dive with instructors. He tells them that during his search and rescue training, he was never taught how to bring someone to the surface. So basically, he's claiming that in my search and rescue certification, I was taught to maybe find somebody, but that's it. Not do anything else. Not find, right, right, right. right. Not, not yeah. help them. He says, they didn't show us how to do that. And then he tells them, when he sees that Tina's in trouble, he rocketeds. He uses the words rocketed. I rocketed to the surface. And on my way to the surface, his 22-minute surface rocketing, right. he runs into two divers trying to indicate that he needs help. His wife's in trouble. Now, on top of all of this, after these two meetings with Gabe, he basically gives them 16 different versions of what happened. All 16? Right? Correct. 16 different versions. And bear in mind, all of this is being audio and video recorded. So you actually, I mean, you go online, you can see him making these statements. Like, they never offered us orientation in my search and rescue. I was never taught how to bring someone to the surface. 
So basically, it's just a search. There's no rescue part. Right. But he has the cer- certificate. Now, one of the most important pieces of the evidence turns out to be Gabe's dive computer. And Gabe is cooperating up until the police inform him, because he asks, can I have my dive computer back? They're like, no, it's evidence. That's when Mr. Cooperative becomes Mr. Aggressive, and he's like starting to demand his dive computer back because he knows when you use the words rocketed and it takes you 22 minutes to go up 15 meters because the computer is going to tell them how fast he was really going. So either way, at this point in time, they have nothing to charge him with, so they let him go. Now Gabe goes home and then he shows up at Tina's job and he guesses why? To collect her belongings. No, but to, not her belongings, but her company pay, her insurance, life insurance, the life insurance that he believes that he is they signed on to the sole beneficiary to. Right. And it's then it was then that he learns that it was not only not increased the way he asked Tina to do. He's not even on the paperwork. He's got nothing. He gets nothing, basically. Then he carries on to his, her funeral. He has her funeral, and at the funeral, a lot of people said that Gabe was really acting very inappropriately. Like, apparently he was standing in front of the open casket, and when his friends would come up, he would say inappropriate things like, at least her breasts look perky. Um, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, just who says that? And then... So they were married in October. I'm, I'm assuming her funeral was about November-ish. Okay. And then come Christmas, he actually sends out a Christmas card with a picture from their wedding, and he writes, who's that sexy guy next to Tina? Oh, yeah, that's me. Like. What? Yes. That, he, he really does that? Yes. And they have, I, I, I you could Google it, you can see the picture. Handwritten, yeah. Handwritten on on the Christmas wife, card, yeah. Christmas card they send out to probably a, a good amount of family people. and friends. Okay. <laughs> the fuck? Yeah. Why? Great question. And then, in March of two thousand and five, Gabe decides, you know what? I'm going to file a lawsuit at the Alabama Jefferson County Circuit Court to recoup the the cost of our trip for the travel insurance that refused to pay him out. So he goes and files this lawsuit for $45,000 for accidental death, plus compensation for trip interruption, medical expenses, phone calls, taxi fares, fees for extra credit card statements, and an unspecified amount of punitive damages for mental and emotional anguish. Okay. So he files this lawsuit. Okay. Okay. And he's he's suing what is is this like the travel company agency that helps right. him get on his trip? Because of the two insurance of the insurances that he was encouraging Tina to do to purchase and to increase and put him on, one of them was a travel insurance, which I I think is very strange. Why would you encourage your bride to get travel insurance? 
and then you still be the only sole benefactor. Correct. I mean, allegedly. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's the case with right. travel. I mean, they don't have kids. They don't have anyone else they know. So, I mean. And you're just course. married. You're literally just married. Right. Now, now I said March in 2005. So we're talking a solid year and a half has passed when he files this lawsuit. Okay. Since her death. During this time, the investigation in Australia is going on. There but the, the you know there's some inherent problems okay we'll get to them in a second back in australia the day after her death you know they obviously perform an autopsy and it's performed by a professor david williams who is a consultant forensic pathologist to the queensland coroner and williams finds florid evidence of air embolism but no degenerative disease and he gives the cause of death as drowning so, obviously, when this all went down, Wade Signalton will later testify that he double-checked Tina's equipment after he rescued her. Right. And he testifies later that she had two-thirds of a tank of air remaining. So, how does a woman who has air, who's got all her gear on, drown? That's how Wade finds her. She's... The gear's still on. Okay. But she dr- is... She... she well, drowning. Because of water. Yeah. Right. Okay. Now, remember how I mentioned before there were more experienced divers on the same trip, and one of them being Ken, Ken Snyder? Okay. Okay. So when Gabe came back to the surface, one of the people he actually talks to is Ken Snyder. And later, you know, you know, Ken will be called in to testify. He gives, you know, his statement. He's called to testify. And he's he basically tells everybody... Gabe's response to his wife flailing, sinking, didn't really seem plausible to him, Snyder, who is was a veteran diver, because that's not how they're, you know, trained. Again, Gabe was trained. So in Ken's mind, who's been experienced and was present at that time, you know, to him, Gabe should have known better to have left his scuba diving partner. Period. That's like rule number one, fight club. You don't leave your scuba partner. Okay. <laughs> ever. They, right. they rely on you to help them. Literally somebody's in the ocean. Okay. Correct. So Ken, who's upset about this, he and his wife, who was also present, who was just completely devastated over the death. I mean, the woman just goes, you know, into this depression. She's very sad. She's very upset. Her reaction is very different from that of Gabe's. Right. They go home to Florida, and Ken is like, this is not sitting right with me. I'm going to reach out to Tina's family. So he gets a hold of Tommy, and this is when Tommy starts to learn about the conflicting information that Gabe told him. The main thing being, of course, was not only Gabe's behavior, but how, remember how I said that Gabe straight told Tommy, yeah, I was there by Tina's side when she died? Remember, the truth yeah. was he was on a completely different boat running around asking people for hugs. So this is when Tommy starts to realize something's not right here. So Tommy hops a plane, and he goes to Australia himself. So the father goes to Australia. Correct. Okay. And, and again, all the while, the Queensland police are actually investigating. But again, there are problems. One being, and this is kind of a big one, the witnesses literally scatter back 
to wherever they came from. This is just a vacation. Right. It's not their house to everybody. Correct. And this is a foreign country. I mean, Ken themselves, they're Americans. The Watsons, they're Americans. Other people are coming from other parts of the world to Australia for the scuba diving expedition, and then they go home. Right. So the detectives, the Australian detectives, actually have to track everybody down. And that is a painstakingly process to track all the witnesses and as soon as they start contacting them, they start learning more and more information. Then they got to recontact this witness. Did you see this? Because then we learned that. And then, so, I mean, it's a, it is a rather painstaking situation. And then on top of everything else, they're cops. And the likelihood of them being scuba diver experts is slim to none. So then they have to seek out expert advice regarding the information that they're collecting and the information that Gabe already provided them. So here they have to reach out to the scuba diving community, find somebody who it would be someone they could trust with the information and provide them with accurate information. So this is not the most easiest type of investigations. But once they show the experts, the ones that they find, Gabe's dive computer that's when things start to look like Gabe's version of events are not accurate. Right. The experts basically tell the police that taking 22 minutes to go 15 meters is like someone basically being a pedestrian walking to the surface. But remember, Gabe told the police that he was rocketing to the surface. So, like I said before, it records the depth of the diver and the speed of the diver. And on top of all this, they learn, and you made the face when I said this, that if the battery is in backwards, the dive computer doesn't work. Just like anything else wouldn't work if the battery was put in backwards. Correct. Right. This doesn't doesn't work. Right. And then they remember Gabe's reaction when they tell him, no, you're not getting your dive computer back. So. Well, you'd think that would be common knowledge at this point. Well. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Maybe just a, a small detail they overlooked at first. And right. Well, again, they really thought it was just a tragic accident. Now, about this time, the couple that took the picture, Greg and his wife, they see this terrible picture, so they send it to the police. And thanks to this picture, the police are actually able to determine where exactly Wade Singleton picks up Tina's body. And they learn it is 60 meters away from the shipwreck. And this location actually contradicts what Gabe tells them. But it's not until the police interview another scuba diver by the name of Dr. Stanley Stutes that they're finally able to piece together what they believe Gabe did. The doctor, Dr. Stanley, tells the police that he saw Watson engage in what would be considered an underwater bear hug with his wife. And the doctor says that he watched as the, the male diver, Gabe, in the, the black wetsuit, you know, go to Tina, put his arms under her armpits. And, you know, the doctor actually thinks he's trying to save her because he's, he's, you know, doing something with her. He's wiggling around with her. And then he sees Gabe let her go and let her sink. Hmm. So here again, 
that moment where he's like, my wife starts sinking, I panic, I go to the surface. He never tells them about this bear hug situation. Correct. And then in addition to all of this, in addition to this witness, in addition to the contradictory information from the dive computer, they learned that based on Gabe's search and rescue training alone, not only should he have noticed the signs of Tina's stress levels as a search and rescue diver, he was trained on not only how to deal with panicking divers, you know, emergency equipment such as releasing, you know, the buoyancy that would have shot her up or releasing her weight belt, you know, somehow to help her out. He also gets trained and it's confirmed on how to bring people safely back to the surface. Now, again, it takes years to gather all these testimonies, all these facts, and at one point in time, they even come to America, the, the, the Australian detectives come to America, and part of what's happening here in America is Gabe's behavior, you know, is starting to upset people because there's another situation that's brewing here in America. And it, his behavior actually catches the attention of a local lieutenant detective. Tommy and Cindy start noticing that every time they leave flowers or something for Tina on her gravesite, they get thrown away. The flowers get thrown away. They get trashed. They get you know tossed. And they're like, who is vandalizing our daughter's gravesite? So they call the police. And the police you know do a little surveillance, and they see that it's Gabe Watson. I mean, it got to the point where Tommy basically hammers down flowers on Tina's grave and Gabe shows up with bolt cutters to cut off the flowers. They catch him with these bolt cutters on surveillance. And that's when U.S. Detective Lieutenant Brad Flynn is like, something's not right. So he starts investigating. He reaches out to the Australian detectives. They come and they start, you know, discovering other things. Now, while here... They, um, the detectives, the Australian detectives learn about the game playing that Gabe was doing with the engagement ring. And they also learn of an incident where Tina and Gabe got into an argument at a pizza parlor and Gabe literally takes the pizza and throws it at Tina. He like just picks up the pizza and throws it at her. So they're starting to get the impression of, you know, Gabe's real behavior towards Tina. So... And in addition to all of this, Gabe decides he's going to actually move Tina's body to another grave. Why? What, grave would, qu- what would be the point? Why is he? I don't even understand why he would tarnish the gravestone. Well, Tommy benefits. Tom, I believe Tommy was the person who benefited from the life insurance. Correct. Right. And he moves her without even like I, I don't even think he provides a grave marker until 2019. So for years, this poor girl is sitting in a nameless grave. Now, in, you know, with all this malarkey going on with Gabe's behavior, the dad actually petitions the courts to become the probate uh, person for Tina's estate. And he actually wins. So Gabe is out. Gabe has no more authority over Tina's whatever remains at this point. I mean, in 2011, we're talking eight years after her unfortunate death. So, but this family has been feuding to the point where the dad has to file for administrator of her estate and he wins. The fighting gets to the point where even 
the Alabama Circuit Court orders Gabe to stay away from her grave. I mean, this is how outlandish the situation goes, becomes. Now, again, like I said, meanwhile in Australia and in America, both of these countries are investigating this situation. And in here in America, what they're looking at or what they're considering is whether or not Gabe plotted to kill her here in America and execute the crime in Australia. So, because it's a crime to plot someone's demise, period. Expression of murder. Right. Right. So, by now, the detectives have formulated what they believe happened. They believe, you know, they dive in with the group. And in order to get Tina separated from the group, he indicates there's something wrong with his dive computer. Hence, they have to resurface. Hence, they have to leave the group. Hence, they're by themselves. He fixes, quote-unquote, fixes his dive computer. The two of them go back into the water by themselves, and he leads her away from where they believe Gabe thought they had no witnesses. Remember, she was found 60 meters away from the the shipwreck. So at that point, that's when they believe he basically removed her gear, held her till she basically stopped fighting, and then put her gear back on, and that's when he released her. That's when the doctor sees him release Tina because she's dead. Remember, dead people don't float. They sink. And he has to do this because he has to turn the air back on. So that's how come he's holding on to her. You understand? Because he can't show that something was wrong or her oxygen was turned off when they find her body later. Okay? So that's why it takes him his pedestrian walk 22 minutes back to the surface. Now, on April 24, 2008, the coroner, the Australian coroner, David Glasgow, formally charges Gabe Watson with her murder, her death. Good. In June of 2009, after resisting extradition for six months, Gabe Watson comes to Australia, and the prosecution argues that Gabe had the experience and yet he let his wife fall to the ocean floor without even attempting to revive her. And they point out his in 16 inconsistent stories, none of them which match the account of any of the eyewitnesses. And, of course, his defense tries to argue that he gained nothing financially from her death, which he didn't, and we know this because he filed a lawsuit, which, by the way, he eventually dismisses himself because... He didn't want the Australian court to use his information in his lawsuit against him to get. Oh, because once it's put in court, it could be used for this this as a formal right right okay. testimony right right okay. Use, okay. And then he goes on to argue that she was carrying too much weight in her weight belt, which I had mentioned a, a, a few minutes ago, and then it gets pointed out that Gabe himself was the one that put the weights on her, so. His arguments aren't helping him either. Right. You understand. So he initially gets charged with murder, but it actually gets amended. And on June 5th, 2009, he pleads guilty, but not to murder. He pleads guilty to manslaughter. So it goes from murder to manslaughter. And apparently the Australian judge was like, I want to commend you for coming all this way. You know, it takes a lot of courage to come all this way back here to face, you know, the court today. So, I mean, basically the judge is like giving him props. 
So at this point in time, he actually gets 12 months for manslaughter. That's it? That's it. This is whole term? Yes. For, and this is from the Australian court? Correct. Now, the day <laughs> following this... News. <laughs> yes. The Alabama Attorney General, Troy King, decides to lodge an appeal with the Queensland Supreme Court. In addition to this, he writes to the Queensland Attorney General, Cameron Dick. On June 18, 2019, same year, uh, Cameron Dick announced the state would appeal against the inadequacy of Watson's sentence. So, on July 17, 2009, just a month later, the Crown asked that the court increase Watson's prison term to two and a half years, and on September 18, 2009, two of the three judges allow the prosecution's appeal, increasing Watson's period of incarceration by just six months so in total this man gets a year and a half correct and one of the just because i said it was a three justice panel uh was like i was in total favor of dismissing the whole appeal so he was like "Mm, i don't agree so he serves 18 months in australia after pleading guilty to negligent manslaughter basically admitting that he failed to save her now fast forward almost a year to may 2010 King, the uh, attorney general for Alabama, announced that he was going to try Watson for capital murder, asserting jurisdiction based on the theory that the alleged crime was planned in Alabama. Remember, Lieutenant Brad Flynn, he's doing his job. He's like, here's the evidence. So King petitions Australia for the evidence held by the Australian police, but Australia refuses access because they know that King is seeking the death penalty in America, which is something Australia does not agree with. Round upon. Correct. Okay. So in 2010, King agrees not to seek the death penalty if Watson is tried in the U.S. for his wife's death. And basically, they kind of go back and forth. You know, King has to say, okay, we won't do this. And finally, when he gets released in November, he basically gets transferred to an immigration detention center where his deportation gets delayed because the authorities in Australia want to confirm they aren't going to seek the death penalty. And once they get their reassurances, they allow him to go back to America. And on November 25th, 2010, he gets deported back to the United States and is immediately arrested. And while all this is going on in October uh, October 2010, the case is taken to a Birmingham grand jury, and they actually indict him for murder. Okay? So he gets released in November. They arrest him. He's in jail. And in July of 2011, the, the circuit court sets the trial date for February 13th, her birthday, for 2012. And Watson himself gets released on bond. So we have basically a couple of months here. Now, during this time, Watson moves on with his life. He meets and marries a woman by the name of Kim Lewis. And, you know, he's just living his La Vida Loca life. Right. And because of a few things, one one of the major things being 
one of the people that the prosecution intended to have testify on the prosecution's behalf, he retracts his statement after learning a couple of things and you know, kind of disagreeing with the evidence that was provided. The judge, Judge Tommy Nail, acquits Gabe for lack of evidence, and Gabe is free. Lack of evidence. Correct. Never mind that he, his confession to manslaughter was sufficient for an Australian court. And in November of 2015, Tommy, Tina's dad, dies from cancer. Jesus Christ. So there's no justice, no real justice for this poor girl. Wow. She didn't deserve this. That's shitty. Yeah. Well, that was depressing. Now I have to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is the story of the honeymoon killer. Only manslaughter for failure to help his scuba diving partner. A year and a half. Yep. So that's it. That's all we have for tonight on justice. Justice. Well, or the lack thereof. On to business. Facebook, Facebook, Facebook. I am on Facebook. If you are curious or interested, just send me a request. Now, if you have a place that you would someday like to see where their dark corners are, or have a specific tourist attraction in mind, send me an email at where the dark corners are at gmail.com. Final thoughts, Panda? Don't go scuba diving alone. I highly doubt she thought that he would do that to her. Right. No one expects, okay, he'll be one of the extra mile and kill me. Right. But, right. you know. <sighs> All right. So until next time, please remember, only the few can find the beauty in the darkness, which is why I hope to meet you where the dark corners are. Mm-hmm.